In the book of John, the, the 11th chapter, the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit led me here to conclude this four-sermon series entitled, It Can't End This Way. And I want you to look at a very familiar account of a miracle of Jesus. But the miracles of Jesus, though maybe uh, repeated in our hearing, never loses its potency. Chapter 11 of the Gospel of John, the story is given in the first 45 verses. I want to move around in those verses and not read them all. Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after he had said to his disciples, then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now to verse 11, please. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 17, please. So when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. And I think what he was saying is, it isn't over yet. Stretch your hands in this direction. Ask the Lord to help me to help you. But if you don't help me, none of us can be what we should be. Pray with me and for me. Oh, you are all I need, Jesus. You are all I need. Lord, I have a sense of nervousness here, a little, little bit of, of sweating in my palm and a little bit of a, a more rapid heartbeat here because I'm, I'm getting ready to handle the sacred Word of God and I know my limitations. There are probably people in this house that could deliver this Word as far as uh, with the proper grammar and, and, and with better excellence than I can. But I, I'm glad you chose me, God. And so I, I pray for the fresh anointing of God. Lift your hands with me all over this house. Anoint us, oh God. Lord, anoint us so that we don't have to endure the Word. and we don't have, We're not bored because of a lack of connectivity. But I pray for fresh oil, fresh anointing. I pray you'd quicken our minds and our bodies. That we won't just be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. God, I've got high expectations today, not because of my ability, but because of God's power. High expectations today. God, I believe that what you promise, you will provide. So do in me and us what you deem appropriate in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. It is. Thank you for being seated and for keeping the scriptures open to this reference. 
Let's get right into it. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Compounded with the grieving of the loss of her precious brother, Martha's mind is filled with questions. Even now, she's questioning, where is he? Where is Jesus? Where is he? How many times had she asked that question over the past four days? Her only brother had come down with some mysterious virus and nobody could do anything for him. Well, nobody except for their friend, Jesus. How many times had he reached out his hand and the blind had seen or the lame had walked? If there was any hope for Lazarus, it would only be through Jesus. Granted, she hadn't actually asked Jesus to come. She had only sent word that his friend was deathly ill. She's thinking, if Jesus was the friend he professed to be, wouldn't he have come already? But she waited, and her brother Lazarus got worse. She waited, and her brother Lazarus died. She still waited, and her brother Lazarus was buried. She's thinking, Jesus had healed a paralyzed man, and he didn't even know the man before he healed him. She's thinking, Jesus had cast out a demon or demons, so many demons in one man in a graveyard that the demon's name was Legion, meaning more than one. And Jesus had never met him before. She's thinking he healed the blind man who was just another face in the crowd. Surely he would come to his friend. And still the, the thought tormented her. Where is he? She couldn't have misjudged him so incorrectly, could she? I mean, after all, he had eaten at their table more than once. He had slept under their roof more than once. Maybe, maybe she misjudged him. And then a, a murmur began to weave its way through the crowd that had gathered at their home to mourn with Martha and Mary, the death of their brother Lazarus, a, a murmur began. The master is here. Jesus has arrived. And Martha couldn't help herself. She, she was one of the first ones. Actually, the first she rushed to her feet and went to meet her friend. The thought that had burned in her heart was already on her lips. Because we find in verse number 21, I think that's accurate. Yes, it is. We find that Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't think it was said with a mean or vindictive spirit. But I don't think it was said simply as a statement of fact either. I think that she was disappointed in Jesus. I think that she was betrayed, or felt betrayed, I should say. It's better to say felt betrayed, because the story changes. 
And, and I'm sure the question, even though she didn't ask the question, I'm sure the question could be read on her face. The question of us, of when you heard he was sick, Jesus, why didn't you come then? Many of you know of the writings of Max Lucado, and he is a profound and wonderful, gifted Christian writer. Max Lucado says that the grave reveals our views of God. He's right, you know. How often have we heard this kind of statement or statements like these? God, if you existed, my child wouldn't have died. God, if you'd answered my prayers like I wanted to you to, my life wouldn't be empty. God, if you really cared, my mother would not have gotten cancer. How often are we guilty of dealing with God in, in the very same way that we might object regarding Martha's dealing? How often are we guilty of demanding to know why He doesn't do it the way we want it done, when we want it done? I've been there and I've done that to Him also. Sometimes we just don't know. Oh, my. And, and, and then the most incredible thing happens. Something so incredible, it reveals Martha's character and her faith in God. Because the, the very next verse says that she said to Jesus. But even now I know... That whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Let me clarify. Martha's thinking, Jesus, I may not understand what you've done. I may not be able to explain it. I may not even like it. But even now, I believe that you still can do anything. Hallelujah. Now come by by the Holy Spirit's direction to tell you this morning, if you will keep faith in God alive, even though things around you are dead, you will find out it's not over yet. (laughs) Help me praise Him. (laughs) If you will keep from getting bitter and staying bitter... If you'll keep from getting angry and staying angry, (laughs) you'll find out that you are setting the stage for your miracle. It's not over yet. Somebody help me preach here this morning. Uh, I am telling you that God has a different ending for your life than the devil does. It's all right to question God. It's all right to become angry, but do not sin. Can I get an amen? It's all right to have one of your spiritual temper tantrums, but before the sun sets. Can I get a witness here? The Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Before, Before the sun sets, you need to bow your head. And bend your knees someplace and someplace and say, God, thank you for not killing me while I vented. Thank you, God, for being merciful for me and to me. So even now I know, God, that while it didn't happen, when I want it to happen, I know you are still God. Keep the monitor up for me, if you will. 
Now, I got some thoughts I want to build from this lesson. The Holy Spirit showed me. He wants me to tell you that it's not over yet, number one, because of the great love of Jesus. Verses 3 and 5 of this text says to us, Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And verse 5 tells us of the love Jesus had for this family. Now, Jesus loved uh, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. As you might have observed earlier in the text, each one of the family is mentioned personally. Jesus loved the family, but he loved each one individually. Later on in this narrative, we see Jesus' compassion and brokenness over the loss of his friend Lazarus. I want to tell you something. It's not over yet. (laughs) Because when you get broken, he's broken. When you grieve, he grieves. The Bible says he was in all points tested like We are, yet without sin. I don't mean tested with things like lust and stealing and prejudice and hate. I mean in all points, even in his body and his suffering. Can I get an amen here? He was, and I want to tell you, Jesus, because of his great love, says, I understand where you are. That takes us to verse number 33, please. And you can look on the screen or you can look in your text. It says, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping... We jump ahead now because now they're at the burial place of Lazarus. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Oh, Jesus. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Sometimes you and I think we cry alone. (laughs) While you are drowning your pillow in tears. And no, it's the wee hours of the morning. And your spouse, though he or she loves you, has since gone to sleep. But your pillow is drowning in your tears. And you're thinking, nobody knows and nobody cares. Jesus will even cry with you. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus. You never cry alone. And I tell you something, brothers and sisters. I'm learning that sometimes tears are just good medicine. Can I get an amen here, somebody? Oh, the Bible said he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. He didn't kill their brother. The enemy of life killed their brother. I tell you that even after 25 and a half years of pastoring, I go to funeral homes 
when called. I go to hospital beds when called. I go into intensive care units. I, I, I have stood beside families and with families who have honored me by asking me to come as their pastor or a preacher. And I, like some of you, have stood beside loved ones' beds. And they, 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 they're on this respirator and they're hooked up to the IV and there's other kinds of instruments of medical care attached to their bodies. But you and I both know that they don't have a lot of time. And I have stood there. I've stood in funeral homes. And of all the college I have attended and all the books I've read and all the oration that I have learned about there, sometimes when I don't have a single word that I could say that would take away their pain. And sometimes I've just learned that if, if the Spirit moves on us and the grieving is such, I've just learned to take out my handkerchief and hand it to somebody and say, I love you. Cry a little bit. Go ahead and cry. Can somebody say amen? Sometimes I've learned that, listen to me, you, you ain't going to get over some of the losses that you've suffered. If you've been married for 10 years, 15, 20, or 30 years, if that's your son or your daughter that's died in the grave somewhere. Somebody helping me here? If, if somebody, if you've been diagnosed after healthy years or 40 years of living, that you have a mal, mal, malignancy in your body, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a crying time. But you'll not cry alone. Jesus knows. He loves you. He understands. He will embrace you. And if nobody else is there, he will be there. Give him some praise, somebody. His great love for us. You know that when you don't understand the ways of God with you, He still loves you. Do you know when you blame God and you get angry with God, He still loves you? <laughs> Do you know when you shake your hands and you rub your hand, you say, God, it's over between me and you. He ain't walking out on you. Can somebody say amen? Do you know the love of the world and the love of human beings sometimes can be conditional? These prenup agreements, you know, uh, the love of some people can be conditional. If you do, then I'll do. But if you don't, I won't. Somebody says marriage is 50-50 arrangement. You do 50%, I do 50%. Well, that's not true according to the Bible. Marriage is 100% male and 100% female arrangement on both parts. I'll do my 100% regardless of what you do. But if you do your 100%. My love is not conditional. My love, God says, is not subjective. God says the love of Jesus is not temporary. He loves you when you don't feel love, and He loves you when you don't even love Him. Oh, I like what Paul says to the church at Rome. And he says, the saints at Rome in Romans 8 and 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword, the love of God. But there's more in verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come. Oh, no, oh, read verse 39 with me, everybody, out loud. Read verse 39. No height, no depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, say praise the Lord. <laughs> it's not 
over yet. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him, red, yellow, black, white, whatever you are, whosoever believes in Him should not perish but shall have everlasting life. Somebody say amen. God is not against you. God is for you. Your mother may give you up. Your father may run out on you. Your best friend may stab you in the back. But Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Somebody say amen. (laughs) It's free. You can take it or you can leave it. But you can't buy it and you can't earn it. It's not cheap love. It costs Jesus every bit of His blood to show you that He loves you. And if He loved you enough to die for you, don't you think He can take care of your marriage? If He loves you enough to die for you, don't you think He can take care of your mind? I will never use this pulpit to exploit people's pain. But all around us, people are losing jobs. One of our brothers this week lost his job after 29 and a half years. A man of God who loves God. And the tears couldn't stop coming down his cheek. (laughs) And he told me, he said, we had a little talk, God and I. And I think he had more talking than God was because he was disappointed. I'm telling you, by the end when it's all over, when it's all over, he remembered that 29 and a half years ago, <laughs> it's God who gave him what he's got. And if he got 29 and a half years of work left, I, I want to tell you something. God doesn't get surprised by you getting a, a, getting rift. Can somebody say amen? When you got to talk, go to the HR person, God isn't surprised when the HR person says, because of funds, we have to let you go. God is never taken by surprise. While this is going on with the HR person, he, this is going on with the HS person. It's called the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say praise the Lord? While the devil may have one plan, God's love has a better plan. I'm going to tell you, it's not over yet. Because of the glory of God. Please look in the scriptures or on the screen. It'll be verse number 11. When Jesus heard that, when he heard his friend Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, there were questions about his claims. He claimed to be the Messiah. And there were questions, is he the Messiah? He claimed to be the Son of God. Is he God in the flesh? He claimed to be the promised one. The prophets and the fathers of Israel had said the Messiah is coming. And the questions throughout his three and a half years of earthly ministry, is he the Messiah, the promised one? Is he the hope of Israel? And for those who felt like he didn't fit the criteria of the promised one. They called him names like a friend of sinners. They they, they called him a wine-bibber. 
when they saw the miracles he performed, instead of attributing it to the fact that he is God in the flesh, they said he got his powers from Beelzebub. Demons and devils. You know, the world plays with names and titles because they think it's cute. I think last year around Christmas, uh, on one of these television shows, they were having a sing-off. And uh, I, I know that they were because of people involved in it. And one of the singing groups were a group of young men, and they called themselves the Beelzebubs. I think that they had, if they had knowledge of what, they, what their name meant, they would have shunned it. But, you know, here we are. We're getting up to, we're getting up to October 31 Halloween season. And let me tell you, Christians, brothers and sisters. Oh, Jesus. The world is, the world is selling costumes and shows and tickets. And every year it becomes more and more grotesque. They, 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 they're even using babies now, meaning baby dolls. Showing injuries to the babies and bleeding from the eyes and the face. And, and the, I, I see it on the news and they said that's why a hot ticket for this Thanksgiving to scare your neighbors and other people with, with, with babies who, who have contorted bodies. Grotesque. Halloween is of hell. Halloween is of Satan. I, I'm not opposed to you giving kids candy in the right context. But you know what Halloween has become in America? It's become an adult day of darkness and partying and drinking, all in the name of the innocent children. That wasn't in my notes. You got that for free, honey. Beelzebub is of demons and the devil. You know the people who resisted Jesus and his claim to messiahship the most? Was the religious hypocrites. They had in their mind how the Messiah would come. And he should come become. When, he, when the Messiah comes he's coming on a white horse. He's got a sword on his hip. He's got some, some, some sort of a banner over his robe. And a crown on his head. And he's going to defeat the Roman Empire. And he's going to exalt the Jewish Empire. And the Jews are going to reign the world. And uh, pardon me, rule the world. And that wasn't the way that he would come. And so because Jesus didn't come like they wanted him to come, and because he rebuked their religiosity and their hypocrisy, because some of these religious people were making money off the people, putting legalistic beliefs on them, and, and they, the religious people themselves, were not even living by the laws they preach, but they were putting other people under captivity. Can I get a witness here? When Jesus came and he went to the temple of worship and found and made it a, a den of thieves instead of a house of prayer, and he took a cord and whooped the daylights out of some worshippers. They rejected him. When Jesus returned back to Bethany, the town of Mary and Martha, I need to hurry. Coming back now. It's been four days since Lazarus has died. Even when he got back to this town, some of those who came to comfort and console Mary and Martha have questions about this Jesus. I know that. It's not on the screen. But look at verse 37, please. And, and I'm doing this hurriedly. Verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? 
The implication is maybe this Jesus isn't who he said he is. But in a few moments, they're going to find out it isn't over yet. Because in a few moments, he would call Lazarus from the grave. And in so doing, both Jesus and his father would be glorified. When Jesus would go to the tomb of Lazarus and instruct them to roll the large stone from the covering of the tomb. And when Jesus would call him back to life, Jesus would be glorified by this miracle demonstrating the power of God in him. Can I get an amen here somebody? When Jesus called Lazarus from the dead, he would be glorified by showing compassion to those who are hurting. Somebody else say amen. When Jesus would call Lazarus from four days of death and call him back to life, the Bible tells us he would prove that he would be Lord over death and Lord over life. Would you say praise the Lord? Let let, let me show you. Let me show you the prayer of Jesus at verse 41, please. At the tomb of Lazarus, this is how Jesus prayed. He said, then, then they took away the stone, verse 41, from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this. That they may believe that you sent me. Jesus delayed his arrival to Mary and Martha's house, knowing his best friend would die, simply because he wanted to demonstrate to more than Mary and Martha who he was. He wanted everyone present to understand his claims as the Son of God is everything he said he was. So Jesus used Mary and Martha's temporary loss. So that many would believe on him. Look at verse 45 very quickly. Then many of the Jews who came to Mary, who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. Do you know sometimes God delays his answer to your prayers because he's got more than your blessing in mind when he answers the prayer? Oh, I wish I had the vehicle to preach like this. You know, when I preach to you guys, I don't only preach my guts out, I preach my liver out. And in the next service, y'all go someplace and you all leave me here and you go to your favorite food place. And here I am panting. I wish I didn't preach so hard to that crowd. If y'all weren't so hard-headed, I could preach easier. But I'm going to preach anyhow. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Just, just, just teasing. Lost my points for getting away from the anointing. Sometimes, Jesus, don't answer your prayers the same way you pray them. Because he's got more than you in mind. And if you're interested in his glory, less of your glory and more of his glory, you'll find out that God can use disasters in your life for his glory. Yeah. Just give him a little time. He's got the big picture in mind. Okay. Uh, let, Let me say this to you. God can change lives through the crisis that we go through. So his glory will be revealed. John the Baptist said about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Can somebody say amen? And when other people around you see you smiling in your storm, raising your hands when you should be careful and praising God. When other people see you keep going to church, keep reading your Bible, keep trusting God, keep giving your offerings, even though you've been laid off when other people see you pressing your way. God is being testified of and His glory is being revealed in your life. 
<laughs> Here's a third and final thought. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And because he's the resurrection and the life, it ain't over yet. <laughs> oh, my Jesus, help me. Look at verse 23, please. Let me back up one. Back up one for me, if you will. Verse 23 won't be on the screen, but look in your scriptures. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Look at verse 25. It's on the screen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Oh, (laughs) I just feel like something good is about to happen. I can sing in my storm. You know why? Because four weeks ago I ran my mouth about the Braves beating the Phillies. Being way up on the list above the Phillies. Pastor Pastor Jeff is a Phillies fan. And I like to rub it in when I can. And I'm singing in my storm because he's rubbing it in today. I told the church, Pastor Jeff needs to pray more. It looks like I need to catch up on some prayer. (laughs) If that was my storm, I could sing anyhow. But that's not usually the storm we face, is it? But I just feel like something good is about to... (laughs) Oh, listen to me. You you know, you're going to stay in your mess and I'll stay in my mess. Depends on the measure of our faith. If you don't believe and you don't trust God, ain't nothing going to happen. Faith is the seed that produces the stalk, that produces the blossom, that brings the fruit, that blesses your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I yet do not know where the six million dollars, I know it'll come from the bank. I yet do, but I don't know how I'm going to pay all that six million for the next building. But I didn't know how we'd pay the 1.1 million about 12 years ago for this building. I don't know how we're going to pay off just yet the 1.561 million dollars that we owe as an existing debt. But I know the Holy Ghost has led me these 25 years. And even though I couldn't figure it out and I couldn't plan it out. And sometimes I was fearful. I'm telling you that faith. Faith is the motivation. If God took care of me 25 years ago, if God gave us this building and the other building, if God brought you to this church when you didn't even know you'd be here, God will take care of His church and His people. Somebody praise Him. Now, it's not over yet. I can't stand when preachers make people do stuff that's silly. High five your neighbor and say it ain't over yet. I dare you. Come on, high five somebody. Say it ain't over yet. You do it at the ball game, so why not do it here? It ain't over yet. Go ahead and order your casket. I ain't ordered mine. I don't, and I ain't against that, okay? I'm not against that. I should order mine the way I preach. I don't know whether Don, she gonna put me in the ground or she gonna burn me up. I don't. I just told her this. One thing she can be sure of: if she goes to find another man after I'm gone, I will show up. I, I did put that on her. Oh God! Wonder where dinner's gonna come from today. But we'll move right on. 
I don't even have a clue where I was headed with all this. Don't even ask you, right? No, I am convinced it ain't over yet. Okay? Martha's saying, what do you mean? Roll the stone away. It's over. I mean, it's over. He's died. We had the service. We buried him. It's It's over. And Jesus shows up and says, roll the stone away from the front of the tomb. And she says in resistance, but Lord, he's been dead four days. And the odor is obnoxious. I like the King James. By now it stinketh. You know, stinketh is worse than stinking. You know, some of us hadn't given our problems to God when we should, and by now it stinketh. Some of us don't want to open up our lives to let the Holy Ghost deal with us and deal with our issues and our agenda and our, and our, uh, and our naysaying and our bad attitude because it's so bad nobody wants to be around us. It, that, it not only stinketh symbolically, it stinketh for real. And the only way... God's going to get you to where you are and bring you out of death into life if you want to open up some stuff. Can I get an issue here? Uh, he already knows it's an issue with you. Why don't you let it become his issue and both of you settle the issue? I got to move on here because that's not how I win friends and influence people. Look at verse 40. Jesus said to her, you still there with me? Say Amen. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you'll see the glory. But pastor, this is the seventh surgery I've had. Believe anyhow. Pastor, I pray for my teenage son or daughter, a grown son or daughter, and they're still hanging with the wrong crowd. Believe anyhow. Pastor, I have put in 20 applications in the last month and I have no calls returned. If you would believe, you will see the glory of God. God did not bring you this far to let you down. Look at verse 43, please, everybody. Look at verse... Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice. This is where my Pentecostalism shines, okay? I'm getting loud. You all ready? I'm getting loud. Lazarus, come forth. I heard this. I've never forgotten it. You know why he said Lazarus, come forth? Because if he said come forth, every dead person would have come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and feet with grave clothes. And his face was... Wrap with a cloth. <laughs> oh, my, 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 my. Why didn't I have a Lazarus prepared this morning? Huh? Can you wrap up one of the choir members for the next service for me? <laughs> the man's bound. They, they didn't have, the Jewish people didn't practice mummification as did the Egyptians. So in most cases they buried the dead the day they died because of the immediate decay. Bound like this. You've seen the Egyptian mummies. Yeah, yeah. Sort, sort of that mummy. Everything bound. Come forth! What a man bound. You ever picture that in your mind? 
What good is a living bound man? You ladies sort of say, anyhow. Well, hey, you got nothing to say, Lazarus? You've been dead for four days. <laughs> Loose him and let him go. Somebody give a Lord a hand clap. Somebody, if God has ever loosed you and helped you before, give him some praise. Loose him and let him go. Loose her, loose me, let him go. Stand to your feet while you're standing. Come on, come on and give him some praise. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my, 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 my. I want you to sing soon and very soon. We are going to see the king. And then find it. I'm going to give you a moment to find it. Raise your hands all over this church. Raise your hands and give the Lord some thanks. Tell him that you are not quitting. You know he loves you and you're going to renew your love for him. Come on. Raise your hands reverently and respectively. Lord, I have let you down, but you've never let me down. I have showed up late. You've never shown up late. God, I thank you that while you could have killed me, you didn't kill me. Come on, somebody. God, while you could have abandoned me like everybody else, you didn't do it. While I shamed your name and brought disgrace to you and your church or to my family or to my marriage, while I let other people down, you've never let me down. Come on, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You see, and you want to put your hands on just a moment now. I'm getting ready. If you don't have to leave, please don't because this is the point of your release. And I'm hurrying. Which is the greater miracle? Resuscitation or resurrection? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Which is a greater miracle? To heal a sick man or to raise a dead man? I got the closing question for everybody in this church, including the pastor. Here is the question of the day. What is dying or dead in your life that needs a resurrection this morning? What have you given up on? Is it your hopes, your dreams? Your peace, your joy, your health, your finances, your marriage. What is dying? Or you've already had the funeral over symbolically. Now listen to me, hear me. I know that you already know that if you've got a loved one going on to heaven, that there's no need for God to bring them back here on this earth. Not when they've got a glorified, immortal, incorruptible body. So we can await their resurrection. But if you're walking around like a dead man or a dead lady because of Satan's toying with your hopes and dreams and mind, it ain't over yet. Did you hear me? Oh, mama. I wish I didn't say this was the last sermon in this series because I feel something coming on. I got to hurry. When they nail Jesus to the cross, the devil said, it's over now. It's over now. I tried to kill him before. I tried to get him jump off a pinnacle and abort his ministry and die. He wouldn't do it. I raised up people to try to kill him. But now I got him. It's over. After three days of being in the tomb, some of his disciples says, we better go back to our secular jobs because he ain't coming out of the tomb. It, it's over now. Two men traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus 
on the third day after his crucifixion happened into a stranger on their journey appeared from nowhere and started talking to him and he said to them Jesus they not knowing it's Jesus he didn't reveal himself he said paraphrase and how are things what do you mean how are things had you been around Jerusalem for the last three days had you had you bore witness or heard of the killing Jesus and they said we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel and for them it was over it was Friday but Sunday's coming I said it was Friday it's Friday in your life but it ain't over yet it ain't over yet because it's been 2,000 years now and some folks have said you know what He'd been gone so long. The last time we saw him, anybody in this world saw him was 2,000 years ago. I, I guess he's just not coming back. Some folks have laid aside their Bibles and took up another kind of lifestyle other than the Bible because they figure it's over. But the Bible says, Watch ye therefore and be ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man is coming. Did anybody hear me? The Bible says, in the writings of Second Peter, the Word of God says that in the last days there will be scoffers and mockers. And they'll say, where is the promise of His coming? Many of you have heard it from your childhood. Jesus is coming again. This generation says, Bible's not real. God's not real. Jesus is dead. He never got out of the tomb. And He ain't coming back from nowhere. But it ain't over yet. Because the Bible says that he will come as a thief in the night. Just any day now, the curtain of time is going to fall. And the trumpet of God is going to sound. And my question is, are you ready? Bow your heads, bow your heads, bow your heads.